0: Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. My guest today is Avanti Sapori, and we're going to be talking about her book, The Kashmir that was Avanti. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Hi, Kushal. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling me over. I'm really excited and looking forward.
0: All right. It's okay, a- Avanti, so so let's start like this. So usually I, I always do this, but, but because this is your first time on the podcast, so um, can you tell everybody who's going to be watching this or is going to be listening to this later a little bit about yourself first?
1: Um, thank you once again. So I am from Srinagar. I am from Kashmir, and um, I was there till my uh, middle school, uh, and then this the whole genocide and the exodus and all of that happened, and then we moved to we relocated to Delhi. I did my education, my uh, graduation, my PG, and then I was working for a corporate and you know, all of that happened and then uh, I continued that journey and uh, various sabbaticals, personal reasons and all of that. But what remained and what stood continued as as my companion was my uh, peace that I found in writing, was my uh, love for writing and it came out in different forms in school, in college, and uh, when i wasn't uh, you know with uh, when i was working also it wasn't that i would contribute i wasn't contributing really to the uh, to the corporate uh, you know uh, magazines or stuff like that but i would write pieces and which never saw the light of the day at that time but uh, so that's that. That is what keeps me busy, really. And at the moment, uh, I'm, 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 you know, free with this task of my uh, this latest book, the Kashmir that was. But at the moment, I am currently working on three projects, which is also about Kashmir. All three are about Kashmir, and two is two are fiction, and one is a piece of nonfiction. So uh, that's broadly about me. Yeah.
0: All right. Now. So obviously today we're going to be talking, our focus is your book. Uh, Now, as I read your book, uh, I know, (laughs) so let's just uh, bring the elephant in the room already. So right now the country is completely engrossed with the movie Kashmir Files, right? Uh, It's the, uh, it won't be an understatement to say that the movie is the talk of the town. Everybody, her bacha, uh, her WhatsApp group, her tisra WhatsApp forward, everything is about Kashmir Files, but... We're talking about your book and your book is the complete opposite of of the Kashmir files in a way that your book talks about Kashmir overall, the memory of Kashmir and the history of Kashmir going a long, long time back to the contemporary times. So my first question to you would be, why did you decide to write this book? So um, why
1: did I decide to write this book? You know these conversations the topics that I've chosen in this book are conversations which would happen at home as a normal conversation that happened in families over dinner time over you know general sitting in the lounge and all of that and they sort of were building up and it's not a one-day conversation or a one-month conversation They were conversations that were happening over years and um I still never thought of writing anything on these because I I didn't I, I thought that I would not be able to justify the whole thing because it required a lot of research. Because if you see each chapter has a prelude of a small essay in which I'm talking about the factual things. So um, that happened, but uh, I don't know, maybe I, I took it a little more seriously sometime later when you become a little more mature and you think that you can handle things. And that's when I thought of uh, picking up one, I actually, I started with a novel You know, I thought there's a chapter about uh, regatta, which is about what is sports in Srinagar. Now, I thought i will write a whole book on that. But as I was writing, I I think I must have completed like uh, 8,000 words for that story. And it hit me that I can't be just talking about one thing when I know so much more happened in Srinagar. And... Uh, I need to justify I need to tell the world outer world there that there were other things as well so uh, you know focusing only on one point would that wouldn't give me uh, happiness so I I, which is the most difficult thing for any author to bring it down to limited word format from seven eight thousand to just you know three thousand words so I started with that and that's where I, I took it more seriously and I got it into my you know system that i need to do this and that's when i started to pick up the different topics that were part of our conversations and i started to do more research study more read more talk more and understand from people around people in the valley people in jammu and people in you know other part of the country so that's how it all uh, came into form now you know the format of this book, as you would have seen, Kushal has has a has a fiction piece and then it sorry, it has a factual piece and then it has a fiction piece. Now there's a reason for doing that. Um, you know, fiction we all know is all imaginary. Is all you can just kill. An author has the liberty to kill anybody, give birth to anybody, do anything with anybody. But when I was trying to do that with my fiction pieces, I thought that uh, if this goes to larger public, if when the book goes to people. They may be as unaware as me or anybody who doesn't know about Kashmir much. So I thought I must put a factual uh, detail, factual information about uh, the fiction piece that I'm about the the topic that I'm trying to talk about. So that's how I broke it into two pieces, the factual and the fiction. And now, um, why I did that? If I tell you that Kashmir had a musical festival, there was something called as Jashne Kashmir. Trust me, nobody's going to believe it, like because for the longest time, the narrative, the stories, this has been different. So if I tell them this, so people might just say that okay, Avanti is imagining. This never happened because what we know of Kashmir is only this, 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 this part of it. So that's where again this became even more important for people to really believe in the work that I was doing. So that's, 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 the, uh, that's the reason for the format of this
0: book. Yeah. So, you know, so interestingly, you start your book with Bollywood, right? Uh, so, yeah. so you talk about the number of movies that have been shot uh, mm-hmm. in Kashmir. Now, purely from an, just, I was just curious to know, so when you were writing this book, obviously a state has a lot of cultural aspects social aspects historical aspects so how does one go about just i just wanted to pick your brain on that how do you go about deciding all right i'm gonna to decide to cover this and maybe i'm not gonna cover this because a culture of a place or or the history of a place it, it can't be written in a book just let's can't. just get real it, it just cannot happen then but yeah, but but how did you go about selecting different topics? So what was the, was there a process or what what did you have in your mind?
1: Um, I I seriously didn't have anything that was driving me other than my emotional attachment with the things. So more than information is available information wasn't a deterrent any any point. So I would say that, okay, for this po- to- topic, I'm not getting any information. So let me just check this out and not put this in my list. There was nothing like that. It was available, but things that I was close to, and things that I think somewhere had impacted me, or I had seen maybe a sliver of that sometime in my growing years in Srinagar, uh, became my important stories. Became important part of the story, which I did not want to, you know, do away with. The limitation, of course, remains that you know it's a limited word format. You can't be writing. Uh, long uh, long form of uh, essays and long form of stories so I had to stick to that and particularly in essays it has to be really and i'm I'm not very good with uh, uh, you know uh, nonfiction writing so I really had a difficult time doing those essays because I thought everything is important I need to put everything out there so that was a little bit of a challenge for me uh, squeezing and bringing the important pieces only so you know it's it was like writing those news, which one does for newspapers and you know giving only the critical information so that became a deterrent sometimes but broadly for me all stories which were close to me or had impacted me or had left an impression on me were became eventually became a part of it part of the book so uh, this book uh, this the first book uh, the first story of bollywood and two uh, two seconds of uh, act two seconds of pain yeah, 30 seconds of fame. So this story um, didn't come over to me, you know, just like that. It was, I, I I have characters, I have people around me who sometimes I could relate to, you know, the girl, the protagonist in this story, that she was of quite a firebrand. She just wanted to be her, think her own self and, you know, just do what her parents otherwise wouldn't have wanted her to do. So they inspired me and it sort of everything... Made it bigger and bigger and bigger, and the story became uh, meatier and heavier to produce. So um, the best, the best thing that I've heard since the book is out in the market. Uh, I've had three or four people telling me, Avanti, is this your story? Thirty Seconds of Fame? Did you want to become a Bollywood actress? I said no, I didn't want to, and neither is this my desire. Neither was that my desire ever, but. I was glad, I was glad to know that people uh, related to the character, people related, talked about her and said that, okay, I think I I was like that when I was younger. I wanted to be that girl. So that sort of gave, gave me, you know, a pattern to the, me with confidence, Avanti, oh, right? You did the right, you chose the right stories for the book.
0: All right, so now I, 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 you know, the thing that fascinated me the most was actually the theater bit. So so let's talk about this so i want to talk about this in detail because you do mention it so in the beginning you talk about there are various references say 12th century historical epics like kalhana's uh, raja tarangini or neil math puran but let's talk about this theater so so what is the history of theater in kashmir because this really fascinated me because to be very honest i'm not a history guy i don't read a lot of history i'm a philosophy guy so so when it comes to philosophy i might know a lot of things in philosophy that's my subject but history so can we talk a little bit about it so how how was the development of theater then so it, it, and it goes to you're saying 1500 years ago yeah
1: yeah yeah so um for theater i'll tell you how it came about uh, so before this i have a book which is uh, uh, i have i written this book about folk tales from kashmir which is called the Catch, catching the fading ray nice. now uh, so for this for this for, for this book i of course uh, spoke with people, uh, you know a- aunts and uh, grand aunts, and what are the folk tales that you would usually tell your grandchildren. But a larger part of the stories also came from Rajtarvi, which is also has many stories, short stories in it. When I read that around ten years back, I don't know. I have made notes, notes of things that were new to me, and theater is something that was new to me at that time, ten years back, and I had made a small note on one of the post-its. And I don't know what triggered me uh, when I was on this journey of writing the Kashmir that was. I got, I got a little more curious and coupled with that was the fact that next to our house in Srinagar, there was a huge Bhairav temple and in that temple they had a thriving uh, theatre group which was called the Vital, Vital Bhairav Theatre Group and as a kid we would go go to the temple, not for prayers, but they had a huge garden, I'm uh, sorry, a huge ground and we would play out there, cricket or whatever. But I could see the sta- the, the stage. So it was like a build-up. you know, they had a wooden flooring and then they had these curtains and behind the curtains, they had the mask, they had the dresses, the costumes, the fake hair, and you know, all those ornaments that one uses for theaters. So as a kid, I never saw any theater because this is uh, 89 and 90. But as you grow and, you know, there are certain uh, images and pictures that you, I mean, that's for everybody we all, whatever we've seen as child stays with us. And when you grow, you, uh, when you become, uh, you know, when you're adults, then you think a little more about it. And that's the time when I tried to mix the two. Did this really happen? Did we have theatres? Was this true? And when I'm talking about, and then I'm reading about theaters in Rashtarangani, then I was it, it got just a little more curious and I wanted to club the two and I wanted to bring this story out because uh, theater was honestly a very very you know how theaters only survive and thrive in a progressive society, in a society where people appreciate art in any form and in in, in, in case of srinagar. You'd be surprised to know, but these theatres happened in Sanskrit language. So you can imagine the audience understood Sanskrit or spoke Sanskrit or, you know, had that uh, capacity to process that kind of theatre. And not just that, they were women as well. It wasn't something was, you know, theatre wasn't only for the privileged few or for the men largely, but the book says that there were women with children sitting and watching theater. So I got inspired a little more about it. And still theater uh, wasn't only about Srinagar. It went beyond Srinagar to Jammu. Uh, It went beyond Srinagar. Even to Leh, they had a theater group there. In fact, uh, uh, you know, uh, there were different alignments like the uh, the uh, the Srinagar one of the the Srinagar Muslim group was associated with IPSA. the Hindu group was associated with Samad Sudha Samadhi. so they were all aligned but they were all working and they were all creating that and uh, 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 you know they were companies they were companies, Coming to Srinagar, uh, theatre groups from England coming to Srinagar, like the Victoria Group, and uh, theatre groups coming from Bombay to Srinagar, and various theatre groups, uh, Balraj Sani, and you know those uh, uh, eminent actors of movie industry were also associated various theatre groups in Srinagar, in Jammu, you know Om Prakash, the film actor. Uh, from fifties and sixties was also associated with the theater. Chupke chupke some... ke jo
0: sabse famous role the.
1: Ha ha right. Yeah. So exactly. So they were they were all thriving, they were all there and and suddenly and and every mohalla had a theatre group. You know? And Kushal um, in my growing up years in Srinagar I didn't see it at that level. Because it not, you know, things had become different the dynamics were different in the society largely. But this I know from my uh, talking to people, my research that I did. And from, of course, you know, when you marble or sundar pieces you will that So for me, uh, going to Tagore Hall, which was again a beautiful auditorium in Srinagar, from my school when i went there so i i got to see these costumes and uh, nobody told me then but now when i read and understand and go deeper into it i know why it was there what it was there so i know that we were living in a really really very progressive and modern society back in Srinagar. but and, you know, and also before whoever reads the book i want to tell uh, everybody that this story, this, these stories, these facts, these, uh, you know, events are, are are for a time period, are between a time period, like if I say from 1880 till 1980s, that's, that's broadly the timeline I've chosen for these stories. I haven't gone beyond 1980s or 85
0: or 83. Yeah, which is very interesting, right? Because even in your book, you talk about mimicking, right? Mimicking popular people was a part of cinema. Yeah. Now, yeah. I don't know any of this. I have never yeah. heard it. The only thing when I know the word cinema comes and the word Kashmir comes parallelly to it is theatre there. There is And when hmm. I read this and you're talking about, oh, there was a time where there was an active theatre there. And... You yes. know, okay, the past, I understand the historical text would be there, you know, a lot of things and a lot of uh, cultural artifacts. In fact, a lot of serious philosophical work also inside the pantheon of Hinduism yeah. uh, does come from Kashmir. That, that yeah. is a lot of people know. But even this, this time frame that you have narrated from 1890 ni- or 1880 to 1980 onwards, right? So... Uh, I mean, I would say 1980 after 1980 would be the, the scenario where we call the shit hits the roof kind of a scenario. Uh, so yeah. so pre that and, and all these things are there. But but then I just wonder, Avanti, how the hell is something as rich as this is not even spoken about? So even the Kashmiris, I don't... So I'm not saying... I'm not necessarily saying the Kashmiri Hindus, the Kashmiri Muslims, the Kashmiri Sikh. Uh, I'm not trying to pin a particular community down. What I'm trying to understand is that if you have a culture like this, which is there just before 1980, and even the average Kashmiri doesn't talk about it. I mean, you wrote a book now, but who was talking about it? Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um... You've said it right, because the reason for me to put this all there was because I wanted them to know this piece about Kashmir. As I keep saying that I wanted people to know that there was a time when Kashmir was really romanticized. It wasn't just about, you know, uh, uh, Shammi Kapoor coming and uh, just shooting his movies. But nobody knows that they would spend their summers in Srinagar. And it wasn't just them, the whole family could stay there and uh, enjoy the, weather. And, and the British, they would stay. uh, We all know that they, they don't come from the same temperatures and they would want to be there. This is just the physical aspect of it. Over the time, the erosion in the culture of Srinagar, we know how it happened and how it was manipulated and how it was, you know, never because no, that's how it is selling. No, because nobody wants to know about that good piece of Srinagar. Nobody's going to take it there. So this was a you know, slow and calculated way to put it down. Why would the state government, uh, you know, create a Kashmir Kala Kendra Center in 1958? Because they were thinking like that. Why would the Dobra kings want to set up, you know, uh, 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 encourage people to talk about culture and do such things? This was back then. But 80s onwards, it was a different completely different uh setup because nobody wanted to talk about this nobody wanted to talk about because it wasn't selling this wasn't what would sell right so the agendas were different the narratives were different the you know the complete story was different so this never fitted into any of the format and uh, yeah that's what i think
0: so so just out of curiosity is there like an underground theater scene now in Kashmir thriving or it's just completely busted and destroyed
1: Um you know uh, they had certain events coming and uh, uh, you know in Jammu they did an event and in Srinagar uh, they did some theater groups which was the 8th theater olympics they 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 had a they had a play called Ala which got uh, you know, selected in that uh, theatre Olympics, but it's not a consistent thing. And when you are doing such things under the threat of gun, under a certain fear, so you know how it is. The creativity, even if it wants to come out, and somebody has done it and produced it, you don't get people to. It eventually doesn't land up with the right, doesn't go to cater to the right people. It doesn't go to the people. It stays within. So it sort of gets muffled again. Nobody's. Uh, you know one is one is bringing it out in public and then if it is br- brought out then you have to uh, you know bear the repercussions of that so it's not it's not really a full fledged thing though we have they have the we have the radios we have the fm playing but theater is i guess not that great shake
0: yeah it is it's just a tragedy and uh theater is such a fun thing to watch. It's and a
1: beautiful thing, absolutely. And yeah. what you were talking about, the mimicry thing, we call that the bandwether in Kashmiri. We call it the bandwether. And he just makes this uh, mimicry about, you know, it takes a funny tone on the political or the social, uh, you know, the satire about how, how he, he thinks about uh, the society in general. So it's interesting, it's funny. And it's, it's also uh, putting across your message in some form.
0: You know, another interesting factoid in your book was, again, I did not know this. So I'm grateful to you. So you said Achilamo and Manipa are the distinct drama forms from Ladakh, while the former drama form is driven more by the Jataka tales. The latter lays emphasis on the narration style of drama presentation. So was this uh, this style of Ladakh also kind of digested and absorbed and practiced in Kashmir? I was just curious. No, no, it
1: was, it was more about the Ladakhi thing. It was more about in Ladakh where they would do those, we know about Jataka tales about animals and uh, you know, those, those that kind. So it was more about that. And it was more about the Buddhist way of, uh, you know, story narrating and about the spiritual journeys that uh, Buddhism has about it. So, uh, uh, and then of course, a message around everything uh, that they want to present. And it was more about Srinagar. So you see the beauty of it. Srinagar had its own theater thing, thriving, full. Jammu had its own theatre thing, thriving again, uh, uh, you know, they have this uh, theatre by the name Abhinav Theatre. And then Ladakh has its own uh, theatre thing. And Jammu, not just the Dobri thing, we know that Jammu is influenced by the Pahari and, you know, the Uttaranchal, we have the hills coming. So it's influenced with that also. So we see that also in the Jammu theatre. So Srinagar is in itself an absolute entity The dark in itself is an absolute entity and Jammu itself is an absolute uh, entity. I mean, they don't need each other because they have so much of culture themselves that they don't need each other to make up or to build up or, you know, to create that uh, sort of meat around it because there's so much they have. And unfortunately, again, uh, how things have become uh, completely sad and completely out of control, culture becomes, uh, uh, culture just goes... Some lost in the air. And then people like you and me maybe trying to bring that culture back in some form and telling it around to people that, listen, uh, this is also a part of it. This was also a part of it. So I'm sure it's going to turn around. It's going to turn around better.
0: So just out of curiosity, when you are researching something like this, right, so obviously to find the primary sources, you have to go to the primary homeland, right, which is yeah, Kashmir. Yeah, yeah. So when you were researching... Just out of curiosity, was there resistance? Were they like Aap ye ho? Kya ki? Uh, honestly to no. no.
1: wow. So uh whoever whatever I spoke with, uh nobody was resistant about uh why do you want to know? And uh Maybe because I did not say that I'm writing a book. I mean, I did not uh, give the final product to them that, okay, this is the reason that I'm uh, you know, asking you, but I did say that I'm researching on this topic and I want to know. So nobody resisted, nobody said no. They were willing to tell me as much as they wanted to. And um, uh, I mean, that just shows that nobody's, not everybody's close, no, not everybody's wanting to just continue with the sob story forever. So that, that brings out the lighter side, the brighter side. And uh, yeah and for, for for many things I also referred to the books. I referred to, uh, you would know that there are many books that were written on Srinagar and uh, some of them were by the British. So I referred to some books written by Indians, books written by the British. So I had quite a mix of uh, data to collect from.
0: So just one more curiosity. Uh, just out sort of curiosity, so when when one looks at a culture of a state, and obviously, in the case of Kashmir, obviously there is the Hindu past of Kashmir, and then in comes the the the, the advent of Islam in India, and and Kashmir changes. Now, uh, from a cultural perspective, obviously you, you're studying the culture of a place. So so how does one understand which part is going to route a which part is going through route b and and where the influence changes and how and and if i was to ask you has kashmir as a separate landmass managed to keep any sources of its real ancient past like properly or it's 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 really under the pump as they say And it's becoming harder and harder by the day to sustain those things.
1: Um, That's very much debatable, Kushal, because uh, Srinagar had many books, Kashmir had many books written on it. And uh, uh, there are certain books which are preserved, very well preserved in the libraries in, in not just the Srinagar library or the university libraries, but here in Delhi, and they are I mean, one of good good cultural uh, offices and organizations, they maintain them well. But this is what you see, what I see. There is another past, there is another history to our scriptures, to our history, to our uh, you know documents, which have got lost in the Oblivion. I mean, not in the Oblivion really, but they've got lost. And they've got lost not because the papers got tattered or uh, the ink went leak, nothing like that, or the ink went fade. No, they got lost because they were burnt. They were destroyed. They were, uh, you know, uh, I mean, they were just shredded. So they got lost. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this, but there are many households. There are many houses in Srinagar. If one wants to dig them, you might find a, find a treasure there. You might find something which might really surprise you and which might just, you know, shake up the whole thing because there are many things that, uh, I mean, that's a different conversation altogether, but they've been hid, they've been uh, kept away from public so that people don't have access to it, people don't know about it. Uh, having said that, uh, my house in Trinagar was built in 1920 by my great-grandfather and who also happened to be the first ornithologist of uh, Srinagar of Kashmir. Mm-hmm. Now uh, uh, when we migrated, when we when we uh, moved to, I mean we were practically thrown out of Srinagar. We were, um, this was 1990 and the house was gutted down in 1995 or 94. I, I'm not sure, 94-95. Now that book, now that, that, that house had a huge library a huge library. I mean, I remember there was a room, it had only books. And as a kid, I they, it never fascinated me because they were not books of my interest. There was nothing that uh, would, uh, you know, uh, attract me to it. But they were huge books, rows and rows of books. And of course, those books, because, uh, you know, he was a learned man, he had a huge collection. So all those books got lost in the, in the fire. So there's nothing that I can retrieve. There's nothing that I can get out from there. So that's that's just my story. I'm sure there are other places, other houses also where would, they would have had books because the emphasis was always on education and uh, you know uh, literacy for everybody. So there, that's broadly how systematically things got lost. And what we have now, thankfully, they are well preserved. Whatever little we have now, so. Uh, so, going to those libraries helped me. Reading those books and pulling them out from the aisles helped me gather this information.
0: So, I'll tell you why I asked you this question. I'll give you a personal anecdote of mine. So, I love the Heer. Now, if you go to the common person, right? And if you talk about the Heer in Punjab, mm. they will say, ne hai. Now, mm. little do people know that the Heer was not written by Varisha. The Heer was written by Damodar Agarwal. Damodar Das Agarwal wrote the Heer and actually he's considered to be the contemporary of Heer and Ranja, right? At that time. And mm-hmm. he wrote the Heer as a play.
1: Yeah. What is
0: yeah. because of whatever you can call it, religious restrictions or whatever, you know, in the Sufi order, they can know Rab de gaane ga kind ah. of a thing, you know, you have to convert it into when love becomes a love of the rub kind of That's a scenario. Right. right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that kind of a scenario. Now, I'm trying to find Heer Damodar in India. I ask many people who know who are kind of familiar, believe me, you can find Heer Varis easily. Easily. It's very easy to find. You ask Heer Damodar to people. First of all, you see people like this, you don't know, what is Heer Damodar? What is Heer Damodar? First of all, then you won't get it i had to ask a friend in pakistan imagine of all the places pakistan pakistan ke punjab mein i'm sorry fir bhi ikka dukke ko pata hai heer damodar india mein logon ko pata bhi nahi hoga ki heer damodar ne likhi thi ek alag tarike se likhi thi aur wo gai bhi jati hai by the way usko gaane wale bhi bahut kam log hai if you search heer damodar there is this obscure facebook link of a lady singing the heer written by damodar and, okay. and i'm not saying i have no issues with the heerwaris i happily sing the heerwaris and read the heerwaris too but all i'm saying is if somebody wants to search the history of punjab and they want to go back and give give the complete narration they should know heer the mother too but yes. they don't they that's don't. why i you this question there was no other reason and and i know for a fact that when it comes to stories like this the level of a number done on Kashmir would be like 2,000 times more than the number done on Punjab. Hmm. Probably. In that hmm. scenario. Hmm. I'm just trying to make you understand why I asked you this question. <laughs> and good, good that you shared
1: this. Because I, I, even I didn't know. I'm guilty of not knowing this. Uh, Heed, Damodar. Uh,
0: uh, I mean. Yeah. So, I, so I most know. people don't. Yeah. Most people hmm. know. Now, there's an interesting path you know, paragraph that you've written in the book. I'm going to read it. And I want to understand what you meant by it because I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I just found it very interesting. So you have written, uh, this is uh, on page 67 of the Kindle version. So I, uh, pardon me if the your hard copy version, guys, is so, different. But yes. yes. Yeah. So uh, you say Kashmiriyat, in quotes, was born in that small compound of moor cross when eager and enthralling young boys braved the harsh Kashmir snow only to write history. For the first time, Moorcroft couldn't differentiate the social or religious status based on the length of the firan or the intricate work on the vicar basket of Kangri or the yeah. dastar or the brocade on their respective collars. They were just parched souls that needed a dash of honeydew. Moorcroft was happy and so were his students. So what exactly do you mean and why did you call this little little bit Kashmirian?
1: See, um, you know, it's it's quite a confusing uh, word, and because it's the way it's been used and abused, and how everybody is putting it the way they want to put it, and the way they want to express and put give their meaning to it. But so, Murkoff Kro, is a uh, is a fictionist a fiction uh, is a fi, uh, is a uh, is 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 a character that I have built. It's not a real character, but I wanted to put my story across and say that when he came to Shrinagar. Uh, you know, when there's a new, when when a person from a different culture comes to a, to a to a new society, he comes with his experiences and with his earnings. And, and if he is at that level, he wants to, you know, put some of his learnings into the society, into the way the people, the natives are living. So that's what he tried to do. Now, you know, there's certain times every society is, has... Uh, stratas has uh, different uh, levels. Now, based, when I meant based on uh, the kind of embroidery that the ferrons, you know what the ferrons are, the loose gowns that we all wear in Srinagar in cold times. Now, if if a ferron which has an embroidery of tilla, you know, thilla is silver or the golden thing, golden thread, of course, he comes from a more affluent background and somebody who doesn't have any embroidery. He comes from a different, term. he comes from a, you know, a little less privileged background. But when Moorcroft tried to build that school, the mission school in Srinagar, it did not matter who came from which background, because that's where he saw that they all were learning things that this man from England was trying to tell them this man from a, a far, far away land, different, completely different culture was coming and telling them. Now, it becomes easier for the character, for this uh, protagonist here to build a relationship, maybe because the the looks of him, you know, the complexion or the features or whatever, but they, he was able to build that culture. And by by the word that I've tried to put here, Kashmir, it, it just means that there were no there was no differentiation, whether cultural, religious, faith, beliefs. When all the children were together in the school compound and they all were learning, you know, humanity, basic humanity, basic life skills, that's that's what it really meant. And that's where he taught that to the children in the compound.
0: So just out of curiosity, so praying the devil's advocate here, so considering the current history of Kashmir and the paragraph that I've read, uh, what if people push back and say, but Avanti, look at what has happened. Look at what has happened. So so how do you answer that scenario there? Um,
1: Kushal, you know, uh, when a creative person puts out his work, they're out. So it's definitely not taken in the same lens and taken in the same way as an author would write it or as a a creative person would write it. Because I'm free to write this, everybody's free to their opinion and the way they interpret the whole thing. So if I go about explaining everything to everyone, I'm going to lose all my sanity by the end of it. So with due respect to everybody, everybody is open to say what they say and feel what they feel about this para, that para, or any line, or any phrase, or phrase, or anything that they wish to say, but uh, the bottom line stays the same, that uh, nothing, uh, no no, no violence in the world wins anything, we know that, and uh, this disparity, this, uh, you know, this uh, differentiation of faith, and creed, as a Kashmiri Pandit, I've faced it myself, so you know, it's terrible. It's terrible. But the bottom line still remains that we all, only humanity and only humane being humane and kind survives. I mean, that's what it takes. You know, I might want to be unkind to somebody today, but I can't continue to be unkind to somebody. So then I'm not a human being. I'm a devil. So, I mean, that's what that's what the para is all about. That however, whatever hatred and uh, you know dislike we may have, but at the end of the day, we when we look at somebody as a respectful human being, and I expect that person to look at me as a respectful human being. That's that's how it is. That that solves the whole thing. And oh, I, I think had this culture continued, maybe uh, I would have been here. I would have been talking to you from my Shrinagar house.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you and, and I hope that happens very soon with all of you uh, because yes. that, that that that's the just thing to do. All right, let's talk about a little bit about now the culture and then maybe we'll take a few uh, audience questions also because I have a couple of questions already from the audiences. Now, mm, all right, arts and crafts, handicrafts. Now, I'll tell you. Okay, so as far as the food is concerned, I had, uh, again, don't judge me, people. The first time I had Kashmiri food was when Aditya Raj call took me out. <laughs> I had I had food with Aditya. Yeah, if I remember, it was Aditya. I was there, and Abiji Tahir was there. We had food together. That was the first time I had Kashmiri food. I'm not actually. So
1: where
0: did you eat? We, was that where, where was that in Delhi? Delhi. What yes. was the name of that place? Like,
1: Mahamal. Yes
0: i think it was a few years ago i love yeah. the food but yeah. but before we get into the food let's talk about the handicrafts so so let's let's talk about it so what is the specific art there in kashmir that that is still surviving and are there specific art forms that there are maybe dying too that are from kashmir
1: um we all know about srinagar giving us pashmina shawls and those cruel shawls and the carpets and the gabbas and the namdas and you know all of that uh, but I mean it's it's such a hidden treasure from, uh, uh, that Srinagar has a vast Kashmir has a vast forest wealth there is so much that comes from the forest in the form of the various uh, wood the walnut wood, the wick uh, the, uh, the willow and the kind of Beautiful geometric designs they create out of those wood logs. It's absolutely beautiful, and uh, you know there's so much of soap making. The the forest products that we get, the the factories of soap making. There's there're many factories for cement uh, 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 factories in in Jammu and in on the jammu Srinagar Highway. So those are things. That broadly, many people wouldn't know. I mean, so many sports products. I mean, the bats we all would know are are, are from Srinagar. Uh, as far as the lost and uh, you know the lost um, cultures in terms of arts, uh, art and craft in Srinagar, I believe you know it's it's a very uh, it's one is a very traditional thing, and because the people in people outside Srinagar do appreciate this art phenomenally. Absolutely. But it takes a lot of time to create that. You know, a simple shawl is not something that is factory made or is on a, you know, on a, on a, on a, is a print or something. It takes many manual hours. And uh, sometimes you are lucky you get the value for that. Sometimes they're not lucky you get that value for it. Though, but I'm very happy at the same time to find that, you know, every part, you will find a Kashmiri art and craft stuff in every part of the world. There's hardly any place I would have seen that. And not just one, you'll find plenty, not, you know, and in a queue or maybe scattered, but you'll find them around uh, with with the Kashmiri uh, stuff that they carry around. There's so much of, uh, you know, vessels that we use, uh, uh, tamba and uh, bronze I mean, they are decorative items now. People use them as decorative items. That's also a huge market that can be explored. That can be, uh, you know, uh, spread out to large number of people.
0: Uh, so, you know, the thing with this is, as far as I'm concerned, from my perspective as an entrepreneur, what I've understood is, eventually these things are determined by the market. And if the market shows interest, I think that's when arts and crafts stay alive and unfortunately in india the market forces have not been in play maybe the government tries to push it i think with khadi, i think the government has tried to push it i think the in in case of kashmir there are a few handicrafts that have stayed but i don't know uh, uh, i'm from a textile background so i i don't i don't know so i i see you know i i kind of have an idea of kaha se kya but but it's, it's like I I I I have seen in terms of most handicrafts and art art forms, at least I think Kashmir has till now managed to do it because I don't know how to say it because the state is in so much turmoil because of other reasons. Um you, somehow this becomes a source of income. So I guess yeah. it has still remained alive because it, it kind of yeah. remains in a situation. <laughs> kind of a thing which is uh, advantage
1: uh, I think for local artisans the advantage they had that they could uh, you know get their stuff outside the turmoil hit place you know to hmm. Delhi to Jammu to Punjab to Maharashtra or to east you know and sell it there so uh, they I mean in older times also they had these shalwalas coming and selling it in, in the you know in the winter time and uh Various melas, I see these uh, melas in Delhi the uh, Kisan Heart, Dastakar, Dili Heart. I see them, I see them coming in, like you know, in large quantity and selling their stuff because everybody appreciates that work. It's not that you know, it's not just uh, run of the mill stuff, and it's beautiful to see how they are bringing and you know, bringing different. Uh, textile forms into Kashmiri embroidery and, you know, how they are giving it beautifully in paper uh work and needlework and Ari work and how they're expanding it into tapestry and, you know, other stuff. So for what has worked in after after all the turmoil in the valley is that they could bring out more beyond, the, beyond Srinagar to other parts and sell it. And as you rightly said, kya na karta, tourism to band ho gaya tha. People were, you know, thinking twice before booking a holiday to Srinagar. So, which was the main, uh, you know, revenue earning industry for, sorry, uh, uh, ministry for them. And uh, so maybe that helped for them.
0: Yeah. All right. I want to keep the last segment before I take audience questions about food. So, again, people can judge me all <laughs> so, uh, so I was like, oh, food can taste good without onion and garlic too. So let's talk about the history, a little bit about the food of Kashmir. Because uh I think no 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 conversation about the history of a place can be complete because without the food especially with Indians the Indians are foodies to the core ja. I wow, think when I it I comes can. to street yeah, street food culture I honestly I, I'm reasonably well traveled but I still feel that ja I think India has a very strong competition. Mm-hmm. I think India is the world leader in, in Velae log, so maybe, if, let's talk about, is there a street food culture in Kashmir or was, I would use the right uh, wording, was. Is was both,
1: is was both because uh, uh, the street food culture was nothing but, uh, you know, those lavasas and ghee uh, gheewali rotis and naans with kebab rolled, that's one. And with uh, kanti you know, they, uh, the mutton pieces that, chopped into small uh, bite sizes and they're really fried very well with a lot of uh, red chilies and salt and all of that and really, you know, fried very well. So street food was also more of this. Uh, There were no tikkis or gulapas. It's a different thing that's come later. But for, you know, pure Kashmiri stuff has always been more of non veg, more of uh, mutton. And uh, so that was one. And otherwise, for yeah, for, it 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 came as a surprise for many of my friends as well that how can you make food without onion, tomato, garlic? How is it possible? <laughs> and it still remains a mystery for many. Oh, but that's how it is. We've never used onions. Uh, I don't know. Is that because we think that that's tam tam I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm. That's one piece that I also sometimes am uh, a little uh, baffled. ki, <inaudible> if we are uh, you know eating onions we think that onions are tamse. and uh, you know uh, in my household we didn't have onions for a long time it wasn't like it wasn't a part of the ration onions were never got into the house and so uh, you know i'm just sharing a small thing my cousin was visiting and i was a small kid my so she wanted to cook something with uh, onions so she was given a different stuff so she was asked to cook it in the compound <laughs> Cook it (laughs) there, eat it there, but don't make it in the household common kitchen. So, I mean, I don't know, but that's how uh, it is.
0: Yeah, I I guess Kashmiris have a lot in common with the Jains. I guess in that sense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't say that. We are meat eaters, and yeah, they like you can't
0: yeah i know i i get it but in the, in this it's wow, know, I know. I know because no 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 onion and garlic is a very Vaishnavite thing and i thought you know Kashmir yeah. was like uh-huh. all all shaivism and so i was like very confused when i found that out i was like maybe that must be a shaivite thing also then i i don't know but somebody has asked this question so somebody i'm gonna start taking live your questions now so so the questioner uh, the viewer has asked, Salman Rushdie popularized the Wajwan banquet of 100% dishes in his book, Shalimar the Clown. Are the original recipes preserved or lost? Because we are talking about food. So, so are you aware of something like this?
1: So, uh, you know, the original recipes, not all are preserved. I mean, not all are lost. Some are preserved. But, you know, there's this... Um, a very distinct mushroom that's grown in Srinagar in, in the valley I' I can't recall the name of that mushroom so we make a pulao out of that there's a sabzi also that's uh, you know a dish is also created out of that but because of of course uh, you know modernization and uh, more uh, uh, you know civilizations growing and that that mushroom sort of has become very distinct now you don't you, you don't see it so often so that dish is also losing its uh, existence slowly and gradually.
0: So I guess most of uh, the old school recipes must be losing uh, it. I mean, they must be going. So the reason they're lost, is it because of the paucity of time, just that over time things change and people's palates change and because of globalization? Or it's also got to do with a kind of a cultural assault too on the place uh, in, in both ways?
1: I don't know. I don't think so Kushal because 32 years out of Srinagar we still haven't lost that taste for Rogan Josh or Yakni or Mats or Kabarga or you know any of that or Kanti. because we still uh, love it the way we always our mothers or grandmothers have cooked it. Yeah, uh, uh, advent of modern food and fast food and that happens. It all works, goes parallelly. Uh, no wonder Matamal or other Kashmiri restaurants are thriving because we want to eat that food and we are used because our palate is uh, you know used to that kind of food and uh, we may not have it every day we may have operational you know everyday food but these are things which are very intrinsic we uh, after a day or two we have to go back to our Kashmiri food and what is also interesting is that we are rice eaters so a day without one day without rice is like I'm dying! I'm dying! I need rice! I need rice! So, <laughs> I'm low on energy. I need rice. <laughs> you know, I need energy. I i I'm, I need rice. So I'm getting. So so you know the culture used to be. Uh, my dad would leave for work at 8:30 or 9 in Srinagar. He would eat rice in the morning as breakfast. Wow. And not just him, but yeah, that was the culture. So you have proper meal, rice and. Uh, you know, whatever we would call a lunch or a dinner now, is what was breakfast for office-going people.
0: So, yeah. It's interesting. So, all right. Somebody has asked this question. This is such a standard Kashmir-walu-gele question. He's like, a specific question, but I'm curious. How important is saffron a part of Kashmiri culture and cuisine? And does Avanti have any memories associated with it?
1: Saffron... Saffron is important to our cultures completely. Saffron tea, saffron food, and you know, uh, for rituals, for uh, spiritual, for religious things, saffron is important. We consider it really pious and really uh, pure. And uh, you know, uh, uh, every day uh, after puja, the people who put it in water and put a tilak out of it. So, the the, the story in my book, uh, The Orange Dot, is it's a very Typical Kashmiri thing that uh, they, you know, after puja there's a little tilak they do of saffron. It's like a oval sort of a thing. So it's very intrinsic to us. And I remember, I remember this because I've seen um, not my immediate, uh, you know, my parents' generation, but grandparents uh, smearing that little uh, thing on their forehead every time they would leave, and it was it had become so much of the. Um, the personality that I know of them. Every time I recall the face, this, this orange dot that would always be there. And that's what inspired me to write this story. You know, we never, uh, even in the heat of Delhi, he did not forget to put that tikka. You know, it's just that sweat. Delhi and Srinagar temperatures are completely different. Srinagar can take that for, you know, it can be there on the for the day. Uh, but in Delhi, the heat, the... You know the sultry weather and everything; it can just melt down all down till the cheek and nose. So, but it was an important part of his uh, my grandfather's. So he used to do that.
0: Yeah, I have memories. I
1: have memories of this actually.
0: So I think this, quest- this per- question comes from a Kashmiri. So this person has asked: Can you tell us some authoritative books on Kashmiri history from ancient times till now? And the next question is, can I learn Kashmiri through Sharda script online or some other sources?
1: So I'll come to the book thing first. Yes, there are many uh, uh, sources of uh, about uh, you know, books which you can read and understand Kashmiri, Kashmir culture and Kashmir more. Um, if it is about the cultures and history, so I'll stick to that. Um, you can, I mean, there's a translation of Rashtarangani, which is in English, you can try that. Then you can try uh, the Valley of Kashmir, the Vale of Kashmir, which is again a, a, a you know beautiful, beautifully written book. Then uh, there's there's an English translation of Cha, uh, of Rajasthan Rangne by Sir uh, Oral Stain. so you can read that. Then uh, there is uh, you know about Srinagar, there is uh, this book about history of Srinagar, so you can read that, and. Uh, you can read Nilmat, both the both the uh, volumes, Volume One and Volume Two. If you want to read more, you can read Katha Sagar, which is again about Srinagar. So there's plenty. Yeah.
0: All right. So so what about the language? How can one learn Kashmiri through Sharda? script? Are there any online resources that are run by, let's say, Kashmiri organizations, whether yes, they're yes, Kashmiri Pandit they organizations or something of that sort?
1: Yes. Yes, they are. So uh, if I may just add a, a line here that Sharda uh, was the original script for our Kashmiri language that we speak. Because, uh, But now we, we don't have a lit- written form of Kashmiri because, you know, it just got destroyed. And uh, so whatever Kashmiri we speak is either in Hindi or in Urdu. So there's no Sharda script that we use now. But because, again, as I as has always been the struggle with any culture, any society, you know, the more they are uh, suppressed, the more they are made, uh, you know, ensure that they forget their roots, the more they rise up like a phoenix and they want to do it. So in the past couple of years, there's been immense work done on reviving Sharda script. So, uh, you know all the alphabets the letters the sounds it's beautiful though i i don't know much about it but it's beautiful there are online courses you can please check because uh, if if you want i can share them with you kushal uh, maybe you know i can share the link with you and you can sh- you may share it with uh, your listeners because there are many people who are doing these online courses on uh, teaching Sharta script
0: awesome now i know this book was uh, about good stuff of Kashmir but I don't know I have to talk about this and maybe this will be the last segment and then we will close our discussion but I want to read a very interesting excerpt from your book again this is page 155 this is the last two paragraphs of your chapter so you say however there were rare incidents of friction between the natives and the uniformed men but they still coexisted peacefully the natives felt that the men in uniform are for their safety and security. Forces were not there to demoralize the local Kashmiris. In recent times, things have changed. The valley has been extremely radicalized, and unfortunately, some natives do not consider the armed forces as their well wishers. After the recent Pulwama attack, things have taken a bizarre turn. So, it's very interesting where you you place this, uh, how you have placed this story. Now, three hundred and seventy is gone. Things have changed. Uh, do you have any hope? So my question is not what are, was or is. Do you think things will can change for better in Kashmir when it comes to the relationship between the armed forces and the local population there?
1: Um. See, uh, because it is a border border state, because we have you know three foreign countries, three neighboring countries surrounded there. So the movement of BS, BSF or movement of forces who are you know, guarding our borders is always going to happen. So I'm very hopeful that you know, we will have lesser of uh, policing and lesser of uh, other uniformed people around in the valley. But the forces who are guarding our borders are always going to be there as they have been since uh, you know 1947. Now Your question is, am I hopeful that will the coexistence, you know, will there be peace? But what choice do we have? They have to have peace. They have to have, uh, you know, uh, uh, they have to be in uh, uh, sync with uh, the people who are guarding them. You know, They, 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 they are there for a job. So let's respect them that they are there for a job. They're guarding me. I'm sitting here, you know, safe and they are sitting there safe. Because not everybody wants violence, not everybody has that bent of mind of, you know, killing and slaughter and all all of that. So let's respect the fact that those people are standing there for you. So, uh, I mean, you have they have to make peace with the whole uh, dynamics of uniform people guarding us.
0: All right. So uh, I guess that's a fair assessment. At the end of the day, national security is paramount. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're rightfully saying it's a border state. That's like, uh, let's like saying, you know, why is the police to citizen ratio in Punjab a little more than the rest of India? Well, duh, it's a border state and it's the same thing. Uh, and, you know, just one one last passing thing. Uh, how much of Punjabis are trying to take over Kashmir? <laughs> because Punjabis seem to go everywhere and add paneer in everyone's life. So is that happened in Kashmir too? <laughs> you
1: know, the unfortunate fact, unfortunate reality is that anybody who's a vegetarian in Kashmiri, in Kashmiri community, is force-fed paneer. Because we think that what can come close to a Rogan josh or mutton is only paneer. The poor fellow is so fed up with paneer. doesn't want to see paneer in any form. But we are like, no, no, you must eat this. And then, you know, there are... It's it's bizarre, but that's how, our, you know, we show our hospitality, I don't know. So paneer, typically, if you see their small cubes, people cut it. But if you see in a Kashmiri thing, they will have these massive bricks of paneer. And, and you know, the, 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 the chunks are so huge. And so... Unavoidable that you like or really, and then you're forced to eat not just the one that is cooked in turmeric, but there's another one which is cooked in lal mirchi. So you you got to eat both. So that's the kind of paneer torture that Kashmiris have. It's it's I mean I'm very close to what you say. For Punjabis, everything is paneer. For non uh, for Kashmiris, everybody whoever is a vegetarian, paneer is an essential part. Can't can't do without it.
0: Uh, so, as a Punjabi would say, you know, you can run away from us, you can't hide from us. We are everywhere, and we are force feeding everyone with paneer down their throats. <laughs> you know, uh, that's all I can say. All right, Avanti, we'll, we'll wrap today's chat up. Uh, you know, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Your book was amazing for a change, uh, and I mean this. Yeah, well, you know every time one talks about kashmir all we can hear is sob stories and i'm not even for a moment saying that the sob stories or or the stories about the the violence in the valley and and the ethnic cleansing or the genocide whatever people want to call it according to their uh, you know preferences uh, is not happening and we should talk about it and and you know it's ironic people people might think this Kashmir Files hit Kashmir Files bhi aur ye, ye wali podcast bhi So, uh, once again, Avanti, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Kushal. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you and connecting with uh, you know all the listeners and speaking about things that I haven't spoken in a long time because you uh, I think for me, Kashmir is an emotion. It's not. Uh, it's not just my homeland. It's just not my birthplace. But it's an emotion. So I'm really close to it. I'm really attached to it. And uh, you know, in some form or the other, it always comes out. So my next, uh, the one that I'm writing is about is again about Kashmir, but it's about you know uh, this when this exodus happened. It was of course for the for parents. It was difficult. Difficult. I mean beyond imagination to up, get uprooted and look for a house and settle the kids and, you know, settle the parents. But at the same time, this uh, change of place, change of school wasn't easy for the adolescent, you know. Now we talk about adolescent pre preteeners and, you know, teenagers, we at we didn't know all of that. And, and, and that critical juncture of our life, we were moving cities, not moving out of choice, but out of force. So that's the other thing that I'm, that's the other piece of fiction that I'm write, uh, 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 writing on. So Kashmir, as I said, is an emotion, is is in my in my DNA. So, uh, and talking about uh, my emotion here in front of everybody is, it was such a pleasure. It was such a pleasure. And also because, you know, as you said, that soft stories and uh, violence and all of that, I really want that, you know, uh, talk about a Kashmir, which is unseen, unimagined, unheard, and, you know, puts people by surprise. Oh, really, was this happening in Srinagar? We didn't know this. So when I when I get to know, when I hear it from readers, and they say that, oh, really, did Kashmir have a theater? Oh, really, did Kashmir have a sports festival? Oh, really, uh, you know, um, did you have the uh, freedom to talk about things that back then, you know, it just makes me feel more proud about my, uh, about Kashmir and about being a Kashmiri. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kushan. Thank you so much
0: awesome so guys we'll wrap today's discussion up so if you're watching this over here on youtube or you're listening to the audio only version on spotify itunes google podcast wherever you want to you will go to the description of the podcast in the description of the podcast you will find the link to buy the book this is an excellent read it's a lot of fun i finished it in two days i am sure when you read this you'll find a lot of anecdotes and stories and factoids in the book that you'll go okay, mein ye bhi hota tha. and i think it's very important Culture ko, ek jagah ko analyze karte You know, when Absolutely. we try to find out about a society, it's very important to go beyond the soft stories. No matter how bad life gives the, the dust uh, you know deals a number on you, you gotta look part. At least I'm an eternal optimist. Now people, you know, can mock me and mock my optimism, but I believe in sharing happy stories even when People have gone through hard times. Why? Because you need something to look forward to. And what I liked about this book was this book gives you that something to look forward to, even about Kashmir, which has been in turmoil for multiple reasons. So please go and buy this book. And if you want to support my podcast, you know the drill. You can li- subscribe to the channel. You can like the video. You can leave your comments in the comment section or you can become a member on uh, YouTube or Patreon or you can send your donations to UPI or buy the work podcast merch on Kadak Merch or on KushalMera.com. I will see you guys next time. Until then, namaste, take care, goodbye. <laughs>